If you haven't heard that song, it's a good one. It's a good song. Ask a good question. And I think she knew a lot. Um, I don't know that she knew all the specifics of walking on water and raising the dead, per se. But, and we're going to see that this morning. We're going to see that she did know some things. But the question for us today is, do you know? Do you know who she conceived? And do you know what the birth of the Son of God meant for you? We celebrate it every year, the, the conception of the Son of God. We celebrate that by gifts and trees and lights and a season of you know, joy and thanksgiving. We celebrate it, but sometimes I'm not sure we fully appreciate it. Sometimes I'm not fully sure we fully appreciate what went on in the birth of the Son. And so the next two weeks we're going to talk about the, the events leading up to, and then next week the actual physical birth and all the details of that as well. Matthew and Luke tell us of the circumstances. They're the only two that give us any kind of account of Jesus' birth and uh, all the events that went on. And so we've got a lot of verses, and I'm not going to necessarily um, read them all at one time because <laughs> that would be a long time and I would run out of voice probably. The, the passage this morning is, is going to point to the Immaculate Conception. And that's not the, the doctrine that you've heard from the Catholic Church. The Immaculate Conception of the Son of God fulfilled a prophecy from 600 years early, earlier. And it all took place under God's supernatural eye. He was watching the whole time. And he had it sequenced absolutely perfect. And so we need to think about what can we see and learn from the conception of the Son of God. What can we learn from this? How does it change our life? So from Luke and Matthew's account, we're going to be in both places this morning, we see three aspects of this conception of when Mary became pregnant with Jesus Christ. And that captures the full implications of Jesus' birth. So first of all, we're going to be looking at the revelation of the conception, the revelation of the conception, Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38, Luke chapter one, verses 26 through 38. Let me read that passage and then we'll talk about a few spots in it. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, How can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore... The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. 
Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. All right, lots of Lots of stuff going on in these verses, but I want to look at four particular places, specifically focusing on how this revelation came about, how the revelation came about of this conception. First of all, verses 26 and 27. We see there in the sixth month, and he's talking about the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, halfway or three quarters, two thirds of the way through her pregnancy. I'll do the math in my head later. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth. That's the name of the little community. And back then it was a spot in the road. It was really nothing to write home about. She, Gabriel appeared to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. God sent this angel. Now this angel Gabriel, he's the same angel that appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament. He's probably one of God's chief messengers. And we have a name for him, praise the Lord. We can call, on, we can call him Gabriel. And he visited Mary. Mary was engaged to Joseph, and I'm going to talk more about that later, but he was, she was engaged to Joseph. He was in the lineage of David, which is the prophecy that David's son would never leave the throne of Israel. And he visited her to tell her the way that God was going to fulfill a long-time prophecy. There's 333 prophecies in the Old Testament about the Son of God, and Jesus Christ filled every one of them. And so she, he's going to tell her how that's going to get started. He sent, God sent Gabriel to her because it was time. It was time. It had been 400 years of no prophets, 400 years since anyone had heard a fresh word from God. All they had was Malachi, was the last author that had written anything in the Old Testament. It was time to reveal the mystery of the Messiah. Now look at verses 30 to 33. Then the angel told her, here's his message. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Wow, there's a lot of stuff in there. But let's look at first what the, the angel says. It says, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. Now that doesn't mean Mary did something to find it. It just was bestowed on her. That's, that's a nice cliche way to say it. So what is favor? Well, anytime you see the word favor in Scripture, you can probably also substitute the word grace. Because grace is always favor. Grace is always favor. Grace, God has chosen her to bring his son into human form. Like I said, she didn't earn it. She wasn't a really good teenager necessarily or a bad teenager. She just didn't earn it. God bestowed it on her. God chose her out of a whole bunch, probably, of virgin teenagers in that era. He chose her. And that's favor. Now he tells her what this favor this grace is for why she has been chosen you will become pregnant outside of marriage and have a son who you will call jesus 
Think about that message. You will become pregnant outside of marriage and have a son named Jesus. How is that a good thing? Can you imagine what was going over in here? She's like, what, what's Joseph going to say? She was thinking through a lot of stuff, I'm sure, while, when, after that message came about. But then she hears Gabriel continue to talk, and he says, the boy will be great. Now that great is, is what we would say, oh, this is great, this is good, this is fine. But really here, in the implications of Old Testament theology, it means a divine characteristic. It means he's great beyond anything you can imagine. But more than that, he will be the son of the Most High God. He will have the throne of David. He will reign over the kingdom of God that was promised in, to Jacob. He will be, now this is the news that she's thinking because she's putting the pieces together and everybody else that would hear this. He will be the Messiah, the person they've been waiting on since forever, really. You go back to Genesis 3.15, that's when it really started. There will be a person born of a woman that will crush the head of the serpent. Moses prophesied about it in Deuteronomy. There will come a prophet greater than me. So she's, I mean, she's just turning all this over and over in her head. And I don't know that it eased her fears or made her more comfortable to know, well, it's going to be God. I guess that's a good thing. I don't, I don't know that that calmed her fears too much. But Gabriel gives Mary the news of her impending pregnancy as well as the reason the Messiah is coming through you. All of that in one big swoop. I think, I think most of us would have passed out from the, the fear and anxiety of it. And so Mary's got to digest this in her head, in her mind, in her heart. How could this be a good thing? How could this even happen? And what's Joseph going to say? We'll get to that, I promise. <clears throat> She's thinking, wow, disgrace maybe, but I don't know if she is or not. And then verse 35. Let's look at verse 35. The angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now he's answering her question, by the way. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Gabriel answers a question for her, the one she's probably thinking in her head, that people have asked for centuries. Virgin birth? How can that even be? I, I believe in God. I believe there's an all, a, a one creator God. I, I believe in his son Jesus, but a virgin birth? I can't believe that. Well, if you can believe in a God who saves and a God who resurrects the dead and a God who creates everything you can see, how come you can't believe in a virgin birth? And, and the angel explains it to her. I mean, right there. It's plain and simple. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I'm going to give it in some layman's terms here. God the Holy Spirit came to her and the power of God covered her. God the creator of all things caused himself to be an embryo in her womb. To be conceived as an embryo inside her womb. Easy peasy, right? For God, it's easy. We try to understand it in our, our educated minds of bi biology. God created the biology, by the way, so he can usurp it if he wants. It's hard to believe sometimes, but God put himself into a womb. 
How else is a perfect human being going to exist? Because that's what we need. We need a perfect human being to take our sin, to die for our death, our death for our sins. God makes his son, his son of eternity past, dwell in human form for the purpose of forgiveness of sin. That's why Jesus came. Don't miss this important fact. Jesus has existed before this birth. In eternity past, he was God. He is God. And he's existed for all eternity. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's existed past that. But now he's coming in in human form. God in the flesh. Incarnate, we say. The God-man. And without this one truth, without the fact that God puts himself in her womb, we cannot have the perfect sacrifice needed to give us forgiveness, to grant us forgiveness. There's got to be a perfect sacrifice to take the death sentence for our sins. Otherwise, we're going to die. It's key. It's central. And it shouldn't be that hard to believe if you believe in God. Verses 37 through 38, let's look at those. For nothing will be impossible with God. Enough said, right? For nothing will be impossible with God. And then Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Nothing is impossible with God. Ever. Nothing is impossible with God. Ever. We memorized this passage in Mark 10, 27. We memorized that with man this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible, even to eternal life. Mary now reveals her heart after she hears this. Nothing is impossible with God. She now reveals her heart, this heart that had favor bestowed upon it by God Almighty. May it be done to me, According to your word. We also memorized Mark eleven twenty two. Have faith in God. There's a song, right? Have faith in God. He's on the throne. He is. God showed favor to her by choosing her over all the others to be the mother of his son. Now that's grace. That's grace right there. Grace is the essence of the revelation of Jesus Christ's birth. It is the essence of his conception grace because you know what god did not have to do that he did not have to do that now he promised it in in our in our bible back in genesis 3 15 so he had to do it because he promised it but he didn't even have to promise it he never had to do this but in his love and in his truth he did Sarah and Hannah, if you remember those stories from the bible they both received some incredible astounding news that they were going to have a baby just like Mary just did. What was impossible to them became a reality from God. What has God called you to do that seems impossible? Has God called you to do anything that seems difficult beyond your ability, beyond your capabilities? When you hear a challenge of some sort to do something for God, when you, like giving to missions, or to be a missionary even, or to love <laughs> To love an unlovable boss, or to love an unlovable family member, or to love anybody that's hard to love. S- to serve the needy. Do you hear yourself say, I can't do that? Well, now you can. Because nothing is impossible 
with God. And Jesus was born for that. What has God done for you, though, that you thought was impossible? I'm sure some of you got some testimonies of some impossible things God has done in your heart and in your life. Have you been healed? Have you had financial help show up at the right time? I can testify to those. Have you been strengthened in your spirit in tough situations? But you know what God's done for you? Saving your soul from your sin-hardened, rock-solid, resistant soul he changed and decided to call you to be one of his children. That was totally impossible for us. We couldn't do that. And that's why Jesus had to come. God had to do that. And faith in Jesus Christ grants that miracle. Has God revealed something to you that demands your total trust? Has, you, has God asked you to do something that you've got to throw logic to the wind? You've got to throw even what you call maybe common sense out the window. We need to seek to have a heart like Mary did. She said, may your word be done. I'm your servant. Here I am. When we're waiting through a situation, when we're praying decades for one thing to happen, when we're giving instead of receiving when we need to receive, those are things that sometimes you just, I'm going to give it, but I don't know why you would ask me to do that. But Mary trusted God. She trusted God with the turmoil that was about to come on her from unwed motherhood. We see it all the time now. We're kind, of, we're kind of numb to it, and it's sad. But back then, that was, it, was, it was not very often that that happened, and especially in someone who was considered a good Jewish family, who adhered to the, the laws of God and the law of Moses. She trusted God with that. And when we think about that, maybe we, think our tri- maybe we can understand that our trials probably aren't that difficult. That's the revelation, the revelation of this conception. It leads Mary and Elizabeth now to some unbridled worship. The reverence due the conception. Look at Luke 1, verses 39 through 56. I want you to hear them worship God here in this, in this phrase. In those days, Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah, where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord will fulfill what he has spoken to her. And, and Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is Holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty 
from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months. Then she returned to her home. You hear it? You hear that worship going on there? They are worshiping the Lord for something great that's been done. He frees their, he frees their spirits to worship him. And so I want to look at three specific places because there's a lot here. But verses 41 through 43, listen to Elizabeth's worship. 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Elizabeth has a really great reaction to Mary's pregnancy. Here's, here's Elizabeth, old in age, past childbearing years, now pregnant. And here's this teenager that's all of a sudden pregnant. She could have been jealous, but she knows who Mary carries. She knows who is in her womb. And that's the important fact because the important fact is Mary Elizabeth right there filled with the Holy Spirit. She now has insight by God into what's going on. She now knows. God ignites her soul with this information. So she cries out loudly, it says, that Mary is blessed. Mary is blessed among all women. And her baby is to greatly be blessed and praised. And her praise of Mary's high honor credits Elizabeth. Credits Elizabeth that she has a humble spirit towards God, his sovereign hand. She recognizes who she is as well in God's scheme, in God's plan that he's working on. She shows no jealousy or animosity of Mary, unlike in Hagar and Sarah. If you remember that story, boy, there's a lot of feuding going on there in poor Abraham. Or Hannah and Penina, man, they were fighting all the time in 1 Samuel 1 because there was jealousy and animosity, but not with Elizabeth. She loved the baby in Mary's womb because she knew he was the Messiah. She declares him her Lord. She knew by the Holy Spirit that Jesus was the Messiah. The Holy Spirit informed Elizabeth of how Mary was pregnant and who the baby was. I mean, it seems to be some information in, in Elizabeth's mind even before Mary walked through the door. And Elizabeth acknowledges Mary's faith and trust in God. Look at verse 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. Elizabeth acknowledges the fact that Mary has, has graciously accepted this and believed what Gabriel told her and had faith in God. I am your servant. Do to me as your words have said. It's a lasting and rewarding trait to practice and live out our faith. Sometimes it won't be as grand as carrying the Son of God in our womb, but faith in God always blesses God. Now look at verses 49 through 50. Basically the end of, of 49, Mary says, And his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. Now Mary starts a song of praise in verse 46. 
she, her mouth just opens and she starts singing, basically, this song. Mary reveals truth in this hymn. There's a lot of truth in this hymn about the blessings of God for those who have faith. But I want to spend time on two things that she mentions here. First, I want to spend time on holiness, on what, what the word holy means. She declares the holiness of God. When these events happen, it is good that the creator, it is good when these kind of challenges happen that you can trust a creator who is good and righteous and holy. That you know he's not doing anything out of selfish ambition or just to make your life miserable. He's doing it because he's holy and good. Holy is more than just the perfect character of God, although that's a big portion of it, but the omnipotent and sovereign rule of his righteous right hand. You can trust his hand. That's what his holiness means. Nothing he ever does is not holy. And it's based on his love and truth, as we saw in Psalms 115.1. That's why we say, not to us, but to you be glory, because of your love and your truth. Holy is important when these kind of things happen to us. Let's look at fear. I get asked a lot, so what does it mean to fear God? And we don't understand that phrase as good as we should. So let me see if I can give you some explanation here. It's a reverence. It's a reverence that dares not object or counterman God's way and truth. It doesn't cross God. It doesn't deny him or distrust his word. That's what kind of fear we're asked to have. When, when, when you read your Bible, believe it. And believe it by doing it. Fear is an attitude of awe and wonder always acknowledging that God alone is the ruler of all creation. It's an attitude to fear God. Those who see the character of God's love and mercy and truth are those who acknowledge God's position and authority. That's fear. And those who fear God will not cross his way or detract from his glory and will seek to praise him at all times. But the other aspect of fear is that it carries a weight of selfless obedience. That you fear him to the point where you're willing to obey him no matter what. Kind of like Mary. I know we fail at that, but, but a self-abandoned dependence on his merciful provisions. That's, that's what fear kind of looks like outside us. See, we don't fear God for our safety. That, that's the wrong idea about fear. The world out there... You know, when something happens, you know, there's no atheists in foxholes and those kind of things. They're like, they're praying to God, but they don't really fear God. When we talk about fearing God as believers, we fear him for his goodness toward us because he's been so good to us. That's our fear. It's a reverence. It's a submission. It's an act of obedience. As believers, we don't need to fear him for our safety because we're already safe. We're already safe in the arms and the hands of Jesus. We need to fear him because he's done so much good for us. Look at verses 52 to 53 of this hymn. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away. Let's talk a little bit about humility. God has helped those who are humble, who are lowly. He's exalted them. To be his children. Humility never depends on our own versions of right or justice. That's humility. It doesn't, we don't get to determine you know, what we're going to live our life by. God does. Humility never depends on our own versions of right, right or justice, but totally accepts God's. That's what 
Humility does. We totally accept God's ways without, without quibbling or griping or complaining or posturing or nuancing God's goodness to us. Humility must be present in our, or our praise and our reverence for God is superficial. If we're not really humble about this, if we're not really accepting of God's sovereign rule, then we're kind of being superficial. And we're definitely sometimes being hypocritical when we praise him and we're not really humble. A great way to know is that you're, whether you're humble or not is that you don't ever think you're humble. The minute you think you're humble, you're probably beginning to get unhumble. You're beginning to brag a little bit. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, they're a great place to go if you want to learn and see the attitude of a humble person. Jesus makes it very clear. We're to be these things so the world can see us, so the world can find their way to us. So right here in this song, Mary speaks Scripture. And we, we know it's Scripture because it's in our Bible. But it's Scripture. Mary spoke Scripture when she testified about Mary's obedience. God uses these two women to teach us how we should praise God, how to worship King Jesus. He uses them to show us how we should be committed to them. Read it over and over again. It's a great, great story in yeah, Mary knew some stuff. Mary knew some stuff about her son. You know, there's been a debate in, in, the, in the social media among even lots of pastors. Should we have Christmas or worship service on Christmas Day? Christmas lands on Sunday this year, newsflash. Next Sunday's Christmas Day. Should we have worship? Should we have our services or let everybody do their Santa or their family thing? Why are they even debating it? That's just, this is my position. Does it, does it make sense to, not to stop on that day and praise the God who gave us his son? Praise the, the lamb who came as a little baby, who chose to step out of heavenly authority, the power and the might he possessed in God's presence to become human, who be, to become completely dependent on a mother and a father, that's a day we should celebrate that God did for us, and we will. And we need to loosen our tongues and praise God more for that. And what better opportunity to do it than on Christmas Day? He definitely deserves more praise from us because this is what Isaiah told us about this child. Isaiah 9, 6, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. That prophecy was over 600, almost 700 years before Jesus was born. But it's a big deal. How big a deal? You look at Luke 2.13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. It's a big deal. And we need to celebrate it. We need to celebrate that it's a big deal. How have we celebrated the conception of God and, and that God becomes man to save souls? How have we made it a big deal? We need to make it a big deal. Now, 
We can spend all day on this. Christmas is a chosen day that we're celebrating it. Probably Jesus was born in August or September. Okay? Um, plenty of scholarly advice. But we chose Christmas. In a, I think they chose it in an attempt to uh, redeem the winter solstice celebrations. But on this day, we traditionally set it aside to worship our Savior, to honor his birth, to put nativity scenes in our houses and on our yards, to tell the world that this is why we have this holiday. We're celebrating. We choose right now to celebrate that Jesus Christ was coming to the world and was born. It's a wonderful thing. It's an amazing thing. But have we, have we lost that wonder and incredibleness of it? Does capitalism and secular events push the, the conception of our, our Savior out of our minds? Have we replaced the miracle of God becoming a baby with the magic and fantasy of Santa? I'm going to stop right there as far as saying anything else, but people are more concerned about the guy in red and white than they are about the Savior in the manger, and we need to reverse that. As believers in Jesus Christ, we need to reverse that. Has presence to others overshadowed the most amazing and precious gift we've ever received? These questions aren't meant to make you feel bad. There are things we do at Christmas time that are great. They bring us together. We celebrate each other's company. You can use these trappings to do that. It's okay. But sometimes it gets overwhelming and takes our minds off of what we should be focusing on. I'll say this, if you're spending more money on the trappings of Christmas, on the secular events of Christmas, than you are on the gospel ministry, we may be being irreverent of his birth. But you can redeem that. When you give gifts, you can give gifts that say, I'm giving you this because of what Jesus gave me. You can make a big deal about his birth. Tell the ones that you're giving these gifts to that Jesus is the most important thing we celebrate. God revealed this to Mary and Elizabeth, and they praised him freely. They, they shouted from the rooftops. They worshiped God for this. But now we're going to see someone else gets into the picture, and they've got to have a, a crisis of faith. Joseph faces the difficulty of this conception. So we're going to go over to Matthew chapter 1, which talks about Joseph. <laughs> Joseph. And he has the the unfortunate but glorious thing to face the realization of the conception. He's got to face the fact that, oh, this has happened, and there is going to be a baby born. Let me read verses 18 through 25 of Matthew chapter 1. The birth of Jesus came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin 
will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. <clears throat> See, the revelation and the reverence part was kind of easier, I think, because an angel comes and tells Mary, and she's got to accept it. And then Mary and Elizabeth get together, and the Holy Spirit's there, and they're just going to give praise to God for what's going on. And then Joseph, he gets another <laughs> dose of faith-challenging events right here. This probably caught him completely off guard, by the way. So let's, I want to see about six, I think it's six things. Yeah, six things in this passage that I just want to capture real quick. First of all, Mary returns. So she goes and visits Elizabeth. So she leaves Nazareth. She's down somewhere toward Jerusalem, but she's in the Judean foothills in a city. They never name it. And she comes back carrying an extra passenger. Okay? She's pregnant. By now she's showing. She probably wasn't showing when she left Nazareth, but she's showing now. So she's got some explaining to do, especially to poor old Joseph. And now Joseph is going to renege. Mary returns, Joseph reneges. Joseph wants to protect her, but also he's got to protect his own righteousness. So he plans to divorce her. Now understand what betrothed or engaged meant back then. It was as much of a covenant and a commitment as being married. That was the culture they were in. I mean, we get engaged, we put a ring on a lady's finger, and we're committed, but we're not covenanted yet. Covenanted yet. We haven't made that... that we just look at it that way. That's the way Western marriage is. But they were together, and the only way to separate was to divorce. Divorce her. So he plans to divorce her. He couldn't marry her in good conscience, but he could divorce her privately in accordance with Old Testament law. There was a, there was a, a cause for that. Because otherwise, she would be subject to potentially stoning because she had committed adultery. But that didn't really happen much in the first century, for sure. So he decides to keep the law, privately divorce her. And all of that, and at the same time, he showed mercy to her. That's righteous. God says, learn what this, Jesus said, learn what this phrase is, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Joseph understood that. So he decides, i got to divorce her. We're going to put her away. And then an angel redirects. Mary returns. Joseph reneges, but an angel redirects him. A messenger appears in Joseph's dreams and gives him the, the whole picture, the whole enchilada, as they say. Here's the scoop. And I'm sure Mary had told him, hey, this is not what you think it is. I love how we say that. She probably meant it. But it was, it was too big to, for him to believe. His faith was just at the limit there. Okay, I know what you're saying, Mary, and I want to believe you, but... You know, her parents would have been involved in this because they were closely involved in all of the, the marital situations and, and all. But then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and he gets a clear confirmation in his own heart. And one of the reasons he knows is because Mary probably said, well, I was told to name him Jesus. And now Joseph is here in this dream, and it's like, I was told to name him Jesus. So that's one way he knows. Now, Jesus is Greek for Joshua. And Joshua in Hebrew, in a form, means Yahweh's 
Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. God is saving. Now, when the promised Messiah came in, most of the Old Testament passages about it, it says he's coming to save his people, but he really never tells us what he comes to save us from. But the angel informed us. Now, there is one place, Psalms 130, 138, and I will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Jesus came to save us from our sins, from the curse of death and hell due to our sins. That's why Jesus came. So the angel redirects him, and then there's a sign mentioned here. On top of that, this sign that was declared over 600 years earlier is about to happen. A sign that, that God gave to an evil king of Judah named Ahaz. You can see it in, in Isaiah chapter 7. There were armies surrounding Jerusalem, and he, he asked Isaiah, I need God to save us. We're, we're, we're going to get demolished. We're going to get overrun. We're going to get destroyed. And God says, ask for a sign, Ahaz. And Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to ask for a sign. The reason is because Ahaz didn't believe that God could save him or would save them. So God gives him a sign which isn't fulfilled until now. The virgin will be with child. The sign is now fulfilled. A virgin will be with child. So there's a sign received. And now Joseph renews his commitment. Now Joseph believes God is going to get them through this. His faith has found some footing. He's had an angel appearance, gave him some information, and now he renews his commitment to Mary, and then Jesus arrives. Jesus arrives. Emmanuel, flesh and blood, will be the substance of God in our presence. God will be physically manifested on the earth in human form. That, that word Emmanuel came out of Isaiah's prophecy. God with us. God will be tangible, touchable. And now Joseph faced the Savior's birth with a resolved realization that it was from God, that, that it was God's kingdom coming. His faith was renewed and strengthened. And now he decides to keep Mary as his wife it sa things sound simple sometimes, but they really are. It's easier said than done. You hear that phrase a lot. But the plans for Jesus were set, but the actual coming to pass, it challenged Joseph's faith. It would challenge any of us in our faith. But he realized that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised. I got some questions for you as we close out here. Do you? realize that Jesus is the Son of God from eternity past who became human. Do you realize that? Do you realize that God, the Son, came to save people from the curse of their sins? you realize that? Do you realize that Emmanuel means God the Creator became a creation to take the sentence of death for us? you realize that? Do you realize that only by believing in the God-man, Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, can you be forgiven by God? Do you realize that? It's only by those things. Well, I'm your messenger today to tell you that. If you don't realize it, if you don't know it, I'm your messenger today. I'm not an angel, not going to even get close to that, but I'm telling you that God Almighty sent his only son to give you access to eternal life. Amen. Yeah. 
When we sing these Christmas carols, we need to realize that's what they're all pointing to. Oh, holy night. Wow. Jesus was conceived by Mary from God. His conception was revealed. It was revered and it was realized. It actually happened. Now what? Well, now what? We need to remember one thing from this, if nothing else. Nothing is impossible with God. No matter how bad you think you've sinned, no matter how heinous you think your actions have been in the past, God can forgive them because of the perfect blood of Jesus Christ. He can wash your sins away. Nothing is impossible with God. You just got to have faith in Jesus Christ for that forgiveness. Trust him alone to give you that gift. So let's take some time of prayer right now to pray that our hearts are aligned with that fact, that our hearts are in agreement with that, that we have realized that in our own hearts, that Jesus, God's gift to mankind for salvation, has come. We'll have a few moments of prayer. If you want to come to the front and pray, you can. I'll close this out after a minute.